Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Hey, good morning, church. My name's Adam, one of the pastors here at North, and uh, it's good to be uh, celebrating Advent with you this this season. I was uh, thinking over, you know, the Thanksgiving weekend. It was 2018 Thanksgiving weekend when the Knight family moved into our new house, and uh, we've definitely been counting our blessings over the past past two years, just thinking about all the ways that uh, God has uh, blessed us in our house, but I, I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb and say that 2020 has been different for us, <laughs> most of us, than uh, 2019 or even 2018, really, uh, all the ways that life has changed. We've been grateful for our house because we've got a pool in the backyard and kids can get out there And when the parks were shut down, so it's been a, a huge blessing for us, but um, probably the biggest way that 2020 has been different than the past is normally on Thanksgiving weekend, uh, we're celebrating an Ohio State victory over Michigan. As far back as history can remember, that's been tradition, so not this year, though. Thanks, COVID. Um, but we, when we moved in in 2018, we were given some housewarming presents. That was really fun, really cool for us. And uh, one of the ones that I was thinking about this week specifically was a fish that was given to us by Abby Joe, a little beta fish formerly named Frederick, and for whatever reason, we changed the name to Edgar, and this fish has lived in our house for two years. I've never, yeah, uh, I've never kept a, a fish alive for two years. <laughs> you know, normally goldfish last for like a couple weeks or whatever, but Edgar has been uh, alive and well. We're grateful for that. It's one of those gifts. I don't know if you are familiar, but sometimes you can get a gift and it's like, well, thank you. And then you put it away or you re-gift it or something like that. But a fish is something that comes with responsibility. You've gotten the gift, but now you have work to do to keep, keep that thing alive. We don't want to have an Edgar burial in our backyard anytime soon. But uh, Kayla's taken on the brunt of that, all the responsibility, like 99% of the work she does. It's not a, a ton of work. I say that from the outside looking in, but it's like three tiny morsels, every, like the tiniest little crumbs of food that you put in Edgar's bowl. Edgar eats them right away, and that somehow sustains him for 24 hours. I don't know. Um, Kayla cleans the bowl, cleans the water every now and then, and uh, she does a lot of work. We're grateful for that. It reminds me of this principle that Jesus lays out in Luke chapter 12. Great gifts mean great responsibilities. Greater gifts, greater responsibilities, he says. And uh, that's going to be our topic for today and uh, really for the Advent season leading up to Christmas. We're going to be talking about a gift today that's even greater than a beta fish even greater than Edgar, if you can imagine something like that. Um, <laughs> greater than possessions, greater than properties or pets. We're going to be talking about the gift of faith. And so as we think about this idea, greater gifts, greater responsibilities, I want to ask you to consider what is our responsibility when it comes to the gift of faith that we have been given from God? Faith is one of those words that... Uh, 
you can look it up in the dictionary or you can talk with different people and ask them to define it for you and you can get thousands of definitions, thousands of different responses and they can vary so wildly just depending on who you're even talking to. Am I talking to a Christian? They might have a specific view of faith. Am I talking to a non-believer? They might define faith in a different way as well. A young Christian versus a maybe a more mature Christian could have different, different definitions But I think oftentimes our world pits faith against things like science and reason and logic. And so I was kind of watching YouTube this week trying to get some different perspectives on what faith looks like for non-believers especially. And I came across this atheist who said this, their definition of faith, their perspective on faith is that faith is a surrender to wish thinking when we are unable or unwilling to root ourselves in complex and often hard realities of a natural world we cannot control. They went on to say, faith prompts us to declare that we know what we do not know. I think this is a pretty common, a pretty prevalent way that non-believers try to discredit the Christian faith, that they set it up against things like science and knowledge and evidence, and proof. They said that Christians have this belief without any evidence, or maybe even belief in spite of evidence. And we know in God's word, that's not what faith actually looks like. And so I want to share with you uh, my definition of faith that's grounded in Scripture this morning. And it's one word, maybe you could say they're, they're synonyms, but I think that this one word helps us understand really what faith looks like in all of its facets. And that word is trust. Faith is trust. And trust obviously implies a relationship. You can think about the people in your life that you trust. I trust my mom. I trust my spouse. I trust my best friend. Sometimes we trust people and they, you know, they're human. They're sinful, broken. We all are. And sometimes trust can be broken amongst different relationships, but when we have trust in God, he is trustworthy. He is perfect in his trustworthiness. And we trust him for many different things. We trust him to fulfill his promises. We trust him that he is who he says he is in the Bible. We trust him for our salvation And the list can go on and on. When you think about faith being trust, one of the ways that I really um, enjoy understanding what that looks like is that faith is an all-in trust. Has anyone here ever played poker? You're playing poker, you've got chips, maybe you've got a large stack of chips or only a couple of chips left, and you get to a a point in the game where you have a really great hand, you think you're going to win, and you go all in. You're risking everything. You're putting everything on the line in that moment. And our faith in God should be an all-in trust. In poker, sometimes you don't go, go all in. Sometimes you just check and wait and see what the circumstances, you know, how they change when the cards are flopped or what other people are doing, our relationship with God. Do we do that sometimes? We're like, God, I I believe in you, 
but I don't know what's going to happen over the course of the next week or the next month, so I'm going to just kind of wait a little bit and see how this plays out. We know that that's not all in trust. The Bible talks about how demons believe in God, and that's not all in trust. But faith kind of incorporates all of the above. It's not just belief. It's not just approving or accepting in the idea of God, but it's also this personal decision, this trust that you have in the relationship with our Heavenly Father. And sometimes we wonder how our faith stacks up to, to each other, to our own selves, and, you know, different times in our, our life. Like I think about when I was younger, man, I had such a strong faith back then. Why isn't my faith the same as it was when I was, you know, and you fill in the blank for that one season of life where it felt like you were on fire, you were in God's word every single day, uh, you were on, on fire in prayer and serving. Sometimes we even compare our own faith to ourselves. Why is, why is my faith not growing or not as strong as it once was? And here, here's the big idea for us this morning. All of us in this room, I believe that we can all grow in our faith. And the Bible tells us how. The Bible gives us a lot of ideas on how we can grow in our faith. I want to give you two simple ones this morning. It comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And uh, the first step, every one of us can grow in our faith if we, number one, remember it is an unearned gift from God. Here's what Paul writes. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is a powerful, powerful passage here. It really tells us the how and the who of our salvation. It tells us how we are saved. We are saved through faith, not through works. Who's behind the saving is um, not from ourselves, but only from God. And I think we need to remember this idea that it is an unearned gift because it kind of goes against what makes sense to you and I. A lot of things in this world we have to work for, we have to earn, whether it's a promotion at work, whether it's an accolade or an award. You put in enough time, you put in enough effort, and people notice and people recognize that. But that's not what our faith is like. I think that can be a trap from the evil one where we think that everything, including our faith, has to be earned. But God says to us, the most important thing, salvation, is something that is not earned at all. How often do we fall into that trap? We're like, man, God, I need to do enough good things to win your approval. You think back, when was it in my life that I said that one final prayer that tipped me over the edge <laughs> to become loved and accepted by God? Or it was that one week in 2016 when I finally tithed enough for God to accept me. Or I did that one extra 
act of kindness or that good deed so that people noticed that I was a good Christian. And that's not what faith is about. Paul says, you have been saved through faith. It is unearned. It's not by work so that none of us can sit in here and boast about what a good person I was to earn God's love for me. I think this is in contrast with virtually every other religion that's out there. Like, why would a deity fully and freely save someone who didn't do anything to earn that salvation? I think about the example that Larry used to give time and time again. I think he probably, you know, was quoting from someone else, but I don't remember who, so I'm quoting Pastor Larry that a lot of the world's religions today is this picture of mankind reaching up into the heavens and trying to grasp salvation from the gods, whereas our Christian faith is the story of God reaching down to humankind and bringing us closer to him. I think back on, uh, on my life, and uh, one crisis of faith in particular that stands out above all the rest is because I kind of bought into this idea that I had to earn my faith. That faith was something that I liked to show off growing up. And it wasn't, it wasn't my parents' fault or my church's fault or anything. It was just something that I, I didn't fully understand. That faith was something that I did and I, I had to earn. And so all throughout school growing up, middle school, high school, I was a good student. I really liked people recognizing that I was a good student on the honor roll, whatever, whatever uh, dean's list or, or things like that. My mom had a bumper sticker. You know, my child is a honor roll student at Pleasant View Elementary. Um... I liked people to know that I was a good Christian. I showed up to church every week. I served in the uh, student ministry, youth band, memorized verses, bragged about it to people. Like I wanted people to know that I was a good Christian, a good athlete, a good person. And then I got into college, and this lie that I had built, this like facade that I had built, all came crumbling down, and some of you know this, I failed out my freshman year of college. Went from the honor roll to receiving this letter in the mail that says you're not welcome to come back next fall. And man, was I, was I broken, was I devastated. I thought I was a good person. I had this reputation that everyone looked upon in wonder and awe, and then now my reputation is in the gutter. People know that I failed out of, out of school. I let my parents down. I let my professors down. I let my roommates down that they'd have to find someone else to live with them next year. And more than that, I let God down. And it was a really rough season for me because I really blamed God at the beginning of it. God, if you love me, why would you let this happen to me? Is this, is this really your plan for my life? And all the while just ignoring my lack of responsibility, my role that played into this, this crisis of faith. 
But as I, I look back over it years later, I am grateful that it happened because in that season, God showed me his grace. I had never fully understood what God's grace meant because I acted like I never needed it. And then in my moment of, of pain and just the downfall of my pride, I came to an understanding that God loves me no matter what I have done, that he accepts me no matter what grades I have, that I don't have to fake it anymore. I don't have to put on this facade or perform at a certain threshold in front of a certain number of people for a certain length of time to finally earn that love of God. None of that. I went from having faith in myself and faith in my own accomplishments to having faith and trust in a God who loved me unconditionally. And So I think this might be a good time to, to talk about uh, all of us in here ask this question, how often do you remember and reflect upon God's answered prayers in your life where you remember the seasons of, of, of God's faithfulness? That there may be difficult things in your past, but if you look back and you see all the ways that God was moving, I think that's important for all of us to do because our past helps us understand our future. That's what we do in Advent. We remember the first coming of our Lord, the birth of Christ. We wait in anticipation for him to come again. I like how Fleming Rutledge puts it. She says, hope and promise are at the center of Advent proclamation that every person in the congregation should feel that a promise has been made to him or her by the God who, unlike human beings, keeps his promises. So can we look back, can we think back and remember where God has shown up and all the promises that he has kept in our past? Because when we do that, we can see that God is faithful. God has already proven his faithfulness to me and to you. I mean, the Father proved his faithfulness when he put his chips all in and sent his one and only Son to this world. And Jesus put his chips all in in his obedience on the cross. And so all of us can grow in our faith if we remember that it is truly an unearned, unmerited, undeserved gift from God. When we do that, we celebrate, we give thanks. Secondly, every one of us can grow in our faith if we recognize our own role to nurture and care for that gift. Just like Edgar was a gift that took some nurturing and care for in, in order to maintain its, uh, its life. Our faith is similar to that. And Paul continues on in Ephesians chapter 2. Not only, he doesn't stop after saying it is by grace you have been saved through faith, but he keeps going. In verse 10 he says, For we are God's handiwork, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so I think this is a great illustration of what the process of worship looks like. You have to get the order correct in this process, that it starts first and foremost with God acting, and then humans respond. After that, God speaks, and then humans obey. God provides, and humans praise. Sometimes we get this messed up. We disorder this process, and we, we think, and I've thought, I have to do enough good works, and then God will save me. And that's not the process. God speaks, and humans respond. And when William Barclay is commenting on this, it's this idea of the role that faith and good works play with one another. What's the correct order there? It sometimes seems like a paradox. And Barclay says, all the good works in the world cannot put us right with God, but once we have been put right with God, there is something radically wrong with the Christianity that does not issue in good works. And so in response to what God has done for each one of us, we have a role to play. We have a responsibility to keep this gift alive and flourishing. It's our turn then to push our chips into the center of the table and have that all-in trust in God. It's not just part way, not just when it's convenient, but we're all in. That means serving one another when it's inconvenient, forgiving one another when it hurts, denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following Jesus, wherever it is that he's leading us, we say, God, I am all in. I am following you wherever you go. Because the process of salvation isn't just this one-time event that happens and you can mark it on your calendar and then coast into heaven the rest of your life. But the process of salvation happens each and every morning when we wake up and we choose to take responsibility and we choose to invest our lives and we choose to obey what God is calling us to do. I want to share another passage with you this morning that I think adds richness to what Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter 2. This is Peter writing in the letter of 2 Peter. It's one of my favorite passages in all of, all of Scripture. He says this, verses 3 through 9. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. God calls. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. So God calls. Humans respond. We participate in what God is inviting us to. Salvation is from him and then leads to good works. And then Peter goes on to write, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection 
and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities, regular amount, same amount, no, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. That's why during this Advent season, we are remembering what God has done in our lives already. Not forgetting that we have been cleansed from our past sins. And when we remember those things, then we respond in trust. God calls each and every one of us to grow in faith. And he doesn't just leave us to it. He's given us everything that we need for a life of godliness, this passage says. If you read this passage, there's a list of things that we can work on, making every effort to add to our faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control. But all of Scripture gives us the ways that we can grow. And so as we corporately and individually spend time remembering this season, I want us to be aware of, of what the enemy can do and trap us when it comes to our memories. Jay mentioned this a little bit last week. When it comes to our past, we can fall on you know, either extreme, one where you only remember the bad things, you remember the difficult seasons, the struggles, the pain, the heartache, and you kind of dwell in that. You, you sit there and just wallow in the past. On the other side, on the flip side, some of us ob- obsess over the past, the good things only And it's like, those were the good old days. I wish life could be like that again. I wish I could go back to the way that it was. And what we do there is we miss out on what God is trying to do today in our lives. How he's trying to provide, how he's trying to show up, how he's trying to encourage us and draw us closer to him even right now. And so I want us to use discernment together as we look to the past and we can learn from it without completely abandoning what God is trying to do today. That's what the Advent season is about, remembering the past and anticipating the future. Rich Velotis is a pastor. He says this, The good news of Advent is not that we necessarily are faithful in our waiting, we often aren't, but that God is faithful in his coming. And so we, as we reflect on the past, we can confidently say, because of what Jesus did, because of the promises that he has made for us, and because he is alive today, that we can trust him with what's going to happen tomorrow, and the next day, and the next month, and the next year. That God is worthy of our trust. So I'm going to invite the band to come back on stage as we respond as a congregation this morning. They're going to come up and play a little music and make me sound cool as I talk. But um, this Advent season, we are 
committing together to remember what is truly important. And Jay gave us homework last week, if you were here. This idea of bringing this token of remembrance that's going to remain underneath the, the trees on the side of the stage here. They're going to remain there for the month of December. And what these tokens do is they help us remember the importance of remembrance. And so during this song, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you guys to come up and place your token of remembrance under the tree. For me, I, I brought something this, this week um, that reflects some very strong memories of what God has done in my life and in my family's life. And it's, it's the Bible. I'm not trying to Jesus juke you if you brought like a Home Alone DVD or something like that. But my family would get together every Christmas morning. Grandma and Grandpa would come over and before we would tear into the gifts, we would read the Christmas story from, from Luke chapter 2 and other places. Grandma passed away five years ago. Grandpa passed away uh, this past July. And so, you know, this year is going to look a little different. But this is my memory, my token of remembrance of what God has done in my family, what God has done in my life. And in this Advent season, what he wants to continue doing each and every day. So my prayer for us during this time is that these, uh, these memories fill us with gratitude of where God has shown up in the past. And because we remember his answers to our many, many prayers, that we have the courage to trust him each and every day because of his faithfulness. So Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning. We remember what you have done over the course of our lives where you have shown up in moments of crisis where you have provided your peace in moments of pain. God, where you have provided for us when we didn't know what tomorrow would hold. We see your goodness in what you have done. We give thanks. As we reflect on our salvation, God, we are, we are humbled by this idea that you would love us even while we are still sinners, that you would give us this gift. And God, help us, help us to live in that gratitude worshiping you, obeying you, responding to you. That we have a responsibility today and tomorrow of, of nurturing this faith that we have. God, we need your help doing that. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it for our own glory, God, but we do this out of honor and praise and glory to you. We love you, Jesus. Help us to live like it. Amen.
So the band's going to play another song, and I'd invite each and every one of you, if you have a token, maybe as an individual or as a family unit, you can come up, place it under the tree. We do have, like, stickers if you want to mark your gift so you can pick it up later at the end of December. Um, But let's respond to this together. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. So good to be worshiping with you this morning. Thank you guys for being here. We have a table in the back, our prayer table for anyone uh, to submit prayer requests. We have a team that's faithful, uh, that loves lifting up our congregation in prayer. So if you've got something that you need prayer for, please let us know how we can help you with that. Also on your way out the door today, we've got a little uh, token of remembrance. You guys placed one under the tree, and we want to send you home with something as well. It's this really cool uh, little piece of wood that holds our Advent theme of remembering faith. And so uh, pick one of those up on your way out the door this morning. Place it in your house or your office, just another Another way for us to remember what God has done for us in our past, what he promises to do for us in our present and in our future. All of us can grow in our faith. We remember that it's an unearned gift from God and remember and recognize that we have a role to play. What's your role to play this week? What is God calling you to do as we grow in him? I love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.